invite you now to open, uh, open your Bibles as we have a scripture reading from 1 John 4, the first letter of the Apostle John, chapter 4, start reading in verse 7. It also connects with the theme of, uh, of unity, walking in unity. I was asked also, because that is the theme for the home visit season, to give attention to that in the preaching of the gospel. We'll do so this afternoon, and it really nicely ties in with also the celebration of the Lord's Supper, of course. So we will have a closer look at that. And our scripture reading is 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. And read to verse 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. I just find reading from Scripture from 1 John, and then we turn to the text for the preaching this afternoon. Let's find the book of Psalms, and we will uh, look at Psalm 133. It's pretty well known, but it's, uh, it's good to read Psalm 133. It is called A Song of Ascents, and it is, uh, the songwriter is David, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing Life forevermore. 
And that's for the text for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, as our song of response to the preaching, we will sing uh, Psalm 133, uh, as we have it in the book of praise. Psalm 133 is a song of response. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as in most other congregations, at least within our church federation, um, your elders here in our sound are also preparing for a new season of home visits. Or perhaps they have started already. I mean, we're in November right now. Now, if it's done well, and if it's received well, home visitation is, is a good way for your spiritual leaders to keep a finger on the poles of your spiritual life. That's part of their uh, responsibilities. But it's more. It's also to encourage you in your faith and in your daily life as children of God. If I'm correct, you have some time ago received a document to help you prepare uh, yourself and, and your family for, for those home visits. And in that document, your consistory introduced a theme for the home visit season. Walking in unity. That's timely and, and very relevant. It's a topic about which God's Word has a lot to say when it talks about the church. That's true for the church worldwide. We can worship, sing, and pray in different languages, live in different cultures, and different situations, and different histories, and we have different practices. If any of you have been traveling in different countries in the world, you will have seen that. But when we share our love for the Lord, for the Word of God, for the Savior Jesus Christ, the experience of being one in faith is good and pleasant, to use the words here in keywords here in Psalm 133. When I was a student, I had the opportunity, I was in Holland, studying at a seminary in Holland, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to make a trip to Eastern Europe at that time under communist regime, wasn't it? Late 60s, early 70s. And um, uh, we, we, we came in one of the countries we visited, that was Hungary. Now, we didn't speak a word of Hungarian. But you walk in a village church, in a village in Hungary, and you, you feel comfortable because they sing, the tunes are familiar. You don't know the words. But the music, the tunes are familiar. And you rejoice together. One sings Hungarian, I'd be in PNG, one sings Tokpisin, and I sing in English or in Dutch, whatever it is. But you feel there is a unity, there's harmony, you feel connected. Now that's international. But it's, it's even more true for the local church. Yeah? Here is where we must put into practice what walking in unity looks like. And, and locally is where we need to focus, first of all, what this unity is actually based on. So it was for the Israelite pilgrims as they came to the temple in Jerusalem from different parts of the country. Most of them may have never met. They didn't even know each other. But what united them, what brought them together, was the same faith, the same love for the Lord. The holy God of Israel brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. So when they met on the highways and byways towards Jerusalem, they shared the same goal, the same purpose. They were heading for the same destination, God's temple, the house of the Lord. 
It was exciting. It was exciting. The fact that they were one in faith and in love. They sing about that in these, these, these songs of ascents, the pilgrim song, also in Psalm 133. Praise God for the unity they have in His love. That's the message this afternoon. Praise God for unity in His love. Congregation, if you want to summarize Psalm 133, you can say that it is about the joy of mutual love and mutual unity as God's people. And about the blessing that comes with it. David, the songwriter, right, uh, describes how beautiful, how awesome, how lovely it is when fellow believers not only say they are, brother, are brothers and sisters, but when they actually live together as a community, a close-knit community of brothers and sisters, children of the same father. When they practice it, when they show by their actions what it is all about, when they demonstrate what it looks like. When that's the case, and together you experience this kind of fellowship of love as children of God, the author says that is good and pleasant. It means it is something to enjoy. Never take it for granted, never ignore it, never neglect it, or worse even, dismiss it as if something that is not important. Psalm 133, we just read it, right? It's a happy song. The tone of Psalm 103 is cheerful. It's full of positive excitement. It reflects the deep joy of God's people, God's children in Jesus Christ, who know with their minds and feel in their hearts what brought them together and who are willing to do what it takes to keep it that way. In this short song, we praise God for the unity we may experience with people with whom we share the same faith, people with whom we are close because we share our love for Jesus Christ. That, that really is a great and wonderful experience. It's a gift from God. And as I said, never take it for granted. It's a broken world. And when we use that, it's an expression we, we, we use sometimes, it's a broken world. But the word broken applies to all kinds of relationships. People don't trust each other. For many folks, life is, is, is a fighting arena. First of all, focused on his or her own interests. There's a lot of disharmony. There's a lot of division. Sometimes we feel that brokenness, the pain of that, in our very personal, intimate relationships, in marriages, in families. It can also divide groups in our society, right? We're talking about the church, but it's not the society we live in. And it can be triggered by social differences, or cultural differences, ethnic differences, racial differences. It can be the result of political differences or religious differences. Whatever it is, the result of sin, we live in a deeply divided world. It can happen in the church. However, here we know, we should know anyway, that true unity, true harmony, true communion originates in God, not in us, 
It's a work of God's grace. Only the love of God can overcome the brokenness. And, and once we are driven by this great love in Jesus Christ, then we will be able to reach each other beyond our many human obstacles. How good and pleasant it is when brethren, and I actually want, want to say brothers and sisters, dwell, live together in unity. That's what Psalm 133 sings about. That, that, that unity, that harmony, that brotherly love at that time between the Israelite pilgrims, the spiritual community of God's people. As I mentioned, the Israelites come from all over the country. But in Jerusalem they will meet. And they will meet as brothers because they come to celebrate the Passover or one of the other feasts. That's what they have in common. That is what binds them together. They recognize each other because they worship together. They share the sacrificial meals together. They serve the same God, the God of their salvation. They are one in the Lord. Now today, we may join in singing this same song as our pilgrimage continues in this world. In the New Testament church, we are together on our way towards the new Jerusalem. And as we travel, we travel different roads and come from all over the place, but we may recognize true unity as God's children, as unity, harmony in Jesus Christ. He came to sacrifice himself. Who came? He came to save us by his grace alone and through faith alone, faith in him. That's what we have in common. This is what binds us together, wherever we come from, whatever our background may be. See, many, many different things can bring people together. Also today, in this broken world. Right? But the unity in the church is unique. Here we call each other brothers and sisters because we share the love of the same Father, our God. And we have seen His love in the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and when this love unites us, it may become visible in how we live together. As Apostle John puts it in 1 John 4, passage we have read, verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The two are connected. God's love is the root of the unity and the mutual love in Psalm 133. This is emphasized when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus sacrificed on the cross for the forgiveness of all our sins. The life-changing power of the grace of God for sinners. Think of that this morning. Visible in the signs and seals of bread and wine. That is where our unity starts. God's children in different places do things differently. You'll always find out. And even in one congregation, we have our differences. We're not identical. We don't always come to the same conclusions. We don't always make the same choices. And, and sometimes that can escalate into disagreements and tension. A lot of things can divide us as Christian believers. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul warns us 
He says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's a strong statement. And James, the Apostle James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You can also think of the divisions and the competing groups we come across in, in, the, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It tore the church in Corinth apart. We're God's children. But we're all men and women with our own ideas and sometimes strong opinions and strong preferences. And on top of everything else, we are sinful. And so there's always the potential that disagreements deteriorate and turn in nasty fights and conflicts. As Satan loves that. Satan loves to stir up strife and conflicts in the church, wherever he can. And then the emotions take over, like anger and envy and bitterness and frustration. And now people no longer trust each other. People eye each other with suspicion. And in the end, the harmony is disturbed, the unity destroyed, and the joy is gone. And everyone agrees on one thing. This is not good. And it's not pleasant. Satan loves it. But God doesn't want it. God doesn't want that. Think of what we've read in 1 John 4. And it makes it so urgent to maintain peace and harmony that is rooted in one faith in Jesus Christ. So not in a, in a superficial glossing over differences. It's not the point. But are we rooted in one faith in Jesus Christ to work on brotherly unity as we submit as one body to the Word of God? And again, that does not mean that unity is the same as uniformity in everything. No. Unity in the love of God and Jesus Christ can live with different opinions. As long as we trust that what motivates us, what drives us, is God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. That's why it's good to celebrate the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Every time the Lord's Supper is being celebrated, we are reminded again and again of the very root of our unity. The only foundation for dwelling in unity. Remember the Lord's Supper is one of the power tools of the Holy Spirit. He unites us with Jesus Christ. He makes us share in the benefits of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. He makes us one in spirit, one in goal, one in faith, members of one body. And the form for the Lord's Supper that we use emphasizes that we must also show this to one another. Not only by saying that we love each other as brothers united by faith, but also putting into practice and do that in such a way that the brothers and sisters you live with notice that, experience that, with the support they get, and the help they receive, and the way we treat each other, and the way we pray for each other. Indeed, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Good and pleasant. Good is here the general word for what is excellent. That's perfect. And, and pleasant means that it gives joy, that it, that it gives happiness. 
And the closer and stronger our unity is as brothers and sisters in faith, people that share the relationship with Jesus Christ, the more excellent and the more pleasant our experience together will be. Such Christian unity and harmony is good and pleasant for ourselves and for, for, for our fellow believers. When you get together with others of like faith, you will enjoy it. It's exciting to share the pleasure. Such Christian unity and harmony is also good and pleasant for new believers. It's encouraging to join a community where brothers and sisters live together in unity. Such a church is a good place to be. Such Christian unity and harmony is also good and pleasant for the world around us, the church. Around the church, as Jesus himself puts it in John 17, may they all be one. Why? That the world may know and believe that you have sent me. And most important of all, such Christian unity and harmony is good and pleasant in the eyes of the Lord. It pleases him because it promotes his holy name, and it glorifies His holy name. Now, to illustrate what makes this spiritual unity, this communion of faith so good and pleasant, the poet of Psalm 133 uses two images. They tell us that the unity of brothers living together in faith is precious and refreshing. So these two images give us two pictures of what is precious and what is refreshing. Let's have a closer look. The first one is in verse 2. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar or the edges, other translations say, of his garments. In other words, such unity rooted in the love of God is just as precious as the holy fragrant oil that was used to anoint Aaron to be the first high priest. Now in Exodus 30, we read that this oil was made according to a sacred recipe, and no one was allowed to copy that, and it was only for one purpose, and so it was rarely used actually, but when it was used, it was poured out liberally. Well, you get the impression in this, in, in, in this brief description that everything got soaked, Aaron, from top to bottom. Aaron would spread this holy aroma all around him. Everyone could smell it. Everyone was reminded of God's saving grace in the person and in the sacrifices of the high priest. Through this oil, God shows how Israel's communion of faith was rooted in these sacrifices, in the forgiveness of sins. Well then, this true unity, brotherly love, rooted in God's love in Jesus, is just as special today and just as precious today as this holy oil. In other words, it is something that we should value very highly we must treat it with care. It is something very special. It reminds us that true unity, holy harmony, is something to be thankful for. And, and, and an experience to be excited about. Just like the holy oil. Our unity in Christ reminds us of our dedication to serve and worship God and do that together. 
There's another reason that our unity of faith in Jesus is like this oil, precious oil. It also reflects God's holiness, God's faithfulness. Walking in unity is pleasing to Him. Walking in unity is a reason to praise and glorify the Holy God. It should make us celebrate His precious love. That's what we do as we celebrate Holy Supper. Right? We celebrate the precious love of our God. We share what pictures and guarantees, the bread and the wine, are pictures and guarantees God's gracious love for sinners. It won't get much better than that, does it? Holy Supper reinforces that only God's gracious salvation in our High Priest Jesus Christ can be the root of true unity, true communion among God's people. Only His sacrifice for the forgiveness of all our sins can bring us together, and only that sacrifice can keep us together. Now then, there's the other illustration. It's in verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, the songwriter says. In other words, such unity, such harmony rooted in God's love is as refreshing as when the abundant dew that comes from Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion and the surrounding hills. Now, we do have a problem here. Even if the stories are true that dew is nowhere as plentiful as around Mount Hermon, it will never fall on the mountains of Zion. I mean, they're just too far away from each other. So it's not what literally happens. Yeah, but we must use our imagination. Summers are usually very dry in the Middle East. And so the fertility of the land depends largely on dew to keep the fields somewhat green. But most of this dew falls around the highest mountains, and Mount Hermon in the far north of the country is one of those. And now the psalmist wants us to imagine this. How wonderful it would be if it would happen if the arid mountains of Zion, where God is dwelling and where His people gather for worship, if these mountains would be refreshed by this dew and benefit from it. When God's children live in brotherly love, united by faith in Jesus, motivated by the love of God, it is just as refreshing as the dew of Hermon would be for the parched area around Jerusalem. Indeed, such unity is refreshing. The experience of worshiping and celebrating together as one in Jesus Christ becomes a sort of, of, of refreshed faith, refreshed spiritual strength. It helps us to grow in faith together, to serve each other in, the, in Zion, in the church. And, and my brother, my sister, we all need this as the pilgrimage goes on. We all need it. You, you know, the Christian who says, and you may have met some Christians like that, the Christian who says, I don't need the church. I don't need Holy Supper. I don't need to experience that precious unity and the refreshing fellowship of faith. That Christian makes a mistake. It will be very difficult to survive spiritually when you're completely on your own. And there's another reason 
that our unity of faith is as refreshing as this dew. It makes you bear fruit. Think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It makes you more and more enjoy God's spiritual gifts in your life. It refreshes your hope for God's future. These are two powerful illustrations, right? The oil of Aaron and the dew of Mount Hermon. Powerful illustrations. Because in this way, the songwriter brings his point across. How good, how pleasant, how encouraging, how promising, how beneficial, how wonderful when brothers dwell together in unity. It is God himself who in his grace unites us in faith, in hope, and love. Through the work of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us to each other. This unique unity in the world breaks through all the fences that we put up to protect our comfort zones. We like to do that. We like to do that. With some people I feel connected. With some people I feel comfortable because they're my siblings or my cousins. With other people I feel comfortable because we share the same language or the same history or the same culture. With others, I feel comfortable because we have the same interests. But being united by faith in Jesus Christ will break through all these separations, all these separate groups that we set up. This unity, this communion is much stronger than anything else. It is the most significant in the world. It is the most significant in our lives as God's people. And it's the only one the only form of unity that will last, will last forever. This precious and refreshing experience is good and pleasant for everyone involved. And again, that's not because we all happen to get along so well. No, no. That's not where it comes from. It comes from God. It's His gift in Jesus. And if we acknowledge Him and praise Him as the giver, then He will bless it. And it will help us to find ways to serve each other. It will help us find ways to support each other, to encourage each other, to share the hope that we have. God will bless it. That's the joyful wrap-up in our song. For there, the brothers and sisters live together in unity, right? Where there, the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. And that makes our unity even better and more pleasant, more precious, and more refreshing. When you find yourself in the community of God's people in the church, and you strive for putting into practice what it looks like to live together in peace with each other, in brotherly love according to God's will and driven by God's love, then together you will experience the blessing of your God. How? He will give you the Holy Spirit. He will make you willing to bear with one another. He will make you willing to be patient with one another. To forgive one another. The Holy Spirit will use you to strengthen each other's faith. Isn't that amazing? He is going to heighten the awareness as to why we belong together actually. God's blessing means also that He fills you with joy because of who He is in Jesus Christ. He will open your eyes for His bright future. And as our pilgrimage continues, 
we may look at each other as we are traveling forward. We may look at each other and we may praise and worship Him together. And we may be excited to share the purpose the Lord puts before us. A goal and purpose that goes beyond our earthly life. Even life forevermore. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit will grow and flourish among us. The peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, you know the list in Galatians 5. That will protect and build up the unity that God has given us. They're all different people. There are many differences. We don't always agree. We're facing different situations. We live in different circumstances. And sometimes we feel that no one else understands what I'm going through. But with all this diversity, nothing is more wonderful, is more precious and more refreshing than know that we are united by the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And this gospel brings us together in God's holy presence, to pray, to praise, to celebrate Holy Supper, to be comforted by the gospel, then we know ourselves to be one in faith. Does it automatically answer all the questions as to how we're going to do things and go about things when there are differences? Not necessarily. You've got to work that out. But we know ourselves to be one in faith. That's the starting point. And by the grace of God, we are one in looking forward to the fulfillment of all God's promises. Forgiveness of sins, eternal peace, and joy. That's why Psalm 133 is at the same time an urgent call. It calls each one of us. Let's work more and more towards this goal. Let's include everyone in the congregation. Regardless of someone's history, someone's background, someone's age, race, gender, social status, political views, whatever it is that might divide us sometimes. Hold on to each other. Encourage each other as fellow pilgrims on the same journey. Experience your unity in Jesus Christ and rejoice. Expect the blessing of God, life forevermore. And remember, this life forevermore is not something that will come after you die. No, no, when today we dwell together, united in love, then today we have begun to enjoy eternal life already. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised. My brother, my sister, the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. And we will join each other at the wedding banquet of the Son of God. Nothing will be as good and as pleasant as that. Amen.